19 from verse 89 to 112, and you can find it on page 438. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Thanks be to God for his word. Our second reading is 2 Timothy chapter 4, which you can find on page 843. It's page 843. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry 
For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to him in his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, uh, Derek and Bridget. We come to our last uh, sermon in the book of our 2 Timothy. I've loved preaching through it. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think it's written to pastors just to encourage them to keep going and keep preaching in the job that God's called them to. Let me pray, and then we'll look at the scriptures together. Lord, your word is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. Lord, in a world where we are bombarded by information and conflicting messages, Lord, I pray that your word tonight would cut through and penetrate so deeply that we'd leave here so confident uh, that your word... Oh, God is indeed eternal, uh, that your word transforms, and we need to sit under your word as we wait for your precious son to return. I say for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to tell you tonight about two of my heroes of the faith. Here's the first guy, just some silhouettes of him. His name is uh, Charles Simeon. Uh, Simeon was educated in Cambridge in the UK in about 1779. He was wonderfully converted 
and became minister of a church uh, called Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, where he served for 54 years. For the first 30 years of his ministry, for the first 30 years of his ministry, Simeon faced persecution and opposition of the like that you and I will never know. Uh, His wardens, his elders, locked the church to stop him preaching. Uh, The pew holders of those days locked the pews so people couldn't hear the gospel. When Simeon put benches in the church, they took the benches and chucked them outside. And they locked the church doors, and yet Simeon kept on preaching. And he preached the gospel week in, week out, year in, year out, for 54 years. Uh, Simeon realized that Preaching the word of God changed people's lives, and so he started sermon classes and got together young men to teach them how to preach. He said this, My endeavor is to bring out of Scripture what is there and not to trust in what I think might be there. My endeavor is to bring out of Scripture what is there and not to trust in what I think might be there. And so over 54 years, he produced 2,536 sermon skeletons to help preachers preach the word. Here's what it says. It was the courageous preaching of the word of God that had brought about the change. Simeon wrote that his test for preaching was this. Does it humble the sinner? Does it exalt the saviour? And does it promote holiness? Does the preaching humble the sinner? Does the preaching exalt the saviour? And does it promote holiness? Uh, This writer says, what does Charles Simeon say to us today? For one thing it says, preach the word. Preach the word. And for another it says, stay with the job in spite of opposition. And finally, he was set the example for discipline, prayer and study. He spent the first four hours of every day with God. And he grew because of it. He's one of my heroes. A man who loved the scriptures who loved his saviour and loved his people enough that he preached the word each week. Here's another hero of mine, very different man. His name's Wally Bean. Wally was a, a naval officer from the UK, married to a, a wonderful woman called Rosemary. They were both miraculously converted about the same time. Early in their married life, they had uh, four boys, and God called them, God converted them, and they had this sense that I, I should be in ministry. He'd had no training at all. He had no sort of heroes of the faith. He hadn't sat under you know, the Jensen's or the John Chapman's of this world or the Billy Graham's. He just had his Bible. And he went to a church in New Zealand, Christchurch, New Zealand, and there were about eight or nine people at the church when he went. And what did Wally do? He wasn't a flash preacher at all. He wasn't the most entertaining preacher. But he just worked hard at the Bible. And week in, week out, year in, year out, he faithfully and meticulously taught the Bible. And God grew the church. Today is about 500 people at that church. Earlier this year, Uh, Wally made a decision. He's about to retire in two years' time. I had dinner with him on Tuesday this week. He said to me, I'm just really tired. 
I'm really tired and I'm not able to lead the church in a way that I know it should be led. And so I'm going to hand on the baton to somebody else. I don't want to waste the last two years just ticking time. I want to hand it over to a younger preacher who can take this church to the next stage. But I don't want to give up preaching. So what they've done is they've, they've actually sold all their furniture and they've put their house up for rent and they've made themselves available to God for preaching ministry. For the next six months, they're up in Tamworth in, in Australia and they're going to be preaching in a church there. And then they said they'll just wait and see where the Lord calls them next because he is convinced it's through the preaching of the word that lives are changed. He's a hero of mine. Faithful, solid, no thrills Bible teacher. He's never had his name on a conference brochure. He's never had his name up on the internet anywhere. He's just a humble servant of the Lord who just preaches the word week in, week out. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy as he pastors his church in Ephesus. As people wander from the faith, as churches pop up all over the place preaching a false gospel, what is Timothy supposed to do as a pastor of a church? What do you think the pastor of a church's job is? What do you think my job is? Do you want me to be a, a businessman, a CEO? Do you want me to be a counselor? Do you want me to be an architect, an accountant? What do you want me to do each week? Why do you come to church? Here it is. Preach the word. Paul doesn't say be the most trendy pastor or the most entertaining communicator. What does he say? 4 verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his coming, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Literally herald the word, proclaim the word, announce the word of God. It's the word of a, of a town crier. Remember the old town criers before the PA systems? They stood in the, in the, the town square and they shouted, Ole, 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 this news is so important, I've got to shout it to you. And Paul is saying here, the word of God is so important, you've got to preach it, not lecture it. He doesn't say write a commentary on the word. He doesn't even say teach the word. He says preach the word because preaching the word is very, very different to teaching it and lecturing it. To preach the word means that you, you work hard on the text. You grapple with the word of God and then you pray. How is this going to connect with the people that you're preaching to? What is it that you want them to learn from the scriptures this week? And you, you pour over it, and you pray over it, and you sweat over it, and then you deliver the word of God. Why? Because 3 verse 16, because all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, from, from Genesis through to Revelation, and all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, so the, the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if I want people at this church to know God better and to love God better and to serve God better and to live for God better and to equip them for every good work, then my task each week is to make sure that the word of God is preached. You know, the way that you pastor a flock is not by sitting down and having cups of tea with them. It's making sure that they sit under the word of God week in, week out. I don't know how many of you actually sit at home and read the scriptures. But when you come to church, this half hour where you get to sit under the word of God should be the most precious time of your week. And you should be praying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me your word. Lord, show me Jesus. 
Show me how wicked and sinful I am and what a wonderful saviour I have. And my job is to do what verse 2 says, preach the word of God. And people often ask me, what do you do? Or people often say, they'll send me an email saying, oh, I'm free for coffee this afternoon. I think they think I sit around just waiting for people to say, hey, have a coffee with me. I pray, I prepare, I sweat, I work hard at the text so that when I come to a Saturday or Sunday, the word of God is handled correctly, I pray. Now, how is Timothy supposed to preach? Look at it, verse 2. Preach the word, be prepared in season and, and out of season. He's saying there whether... Timothy feels like preaching or not, whether he's in season or whether Timothy's out of season, he's still to preach the word. And whether the congregation are in season or the congregation are out of season, he's still to preach the word. Because there are different seasons in your church life. You know, there are seasons where the preacher is in season. You know, he's walking closely with God and it's just a joy to preach. And there are seasons when the congregation are in season. They, they grow and they just long to hear the word of God. And that's the easy time to preach. But there are seasons where the preacher is out of season. You know, he is struggling. He's going through trials. He's questioning. But he's still to preach the word of God. And there are seasons where the church are out of season. The church don't want to hear Churches want to be entertained. They don't want to sit under the word of God, but he's still to preach the word of God. Let me give you a very personal example. We started church by the bridge five and a half years ago. We started on February the 6th. Uh, on Thursday the 1st of April, uh, God took me through a trial, which is one of the most painful trials I've been through. On the Sunday night that week, I was called to preach on the topic of joy. (laughs) And the sermon schedule had been set weeks, months before. What did I do? I just preached the word of God on joy. And for the next two, three months, I was in a dark, dark place. You know, just waking up in in the morning, just trying to get out of bed and trying to just walk closely with God. And I was still called as a preacher to preach the word. I was out of season. I was struggling, but the word of God was true. And you know what God did? God grew this this church over those first six months at a rate that I would never have dreamt of. And that was the most important thing that God taught me. Because it's the word of God that grows a church, even when the preacher is out of season. And I think if I had been preaching my best sermons while I was walking closely with my God, I would be a very proud man today. And I would think that I had grown the church through my preaching. But I was weak. I was out of season. And God grew his church. And that's the power of preaching the word of God. And that's why Paul is writing this, because there are people who are teaching false gospels and Timothy is watching numbers dwindle in his church. And common sense would say, you know, just do what the other churches are doing. Just entertain. Just, just titillate people. Just teach feel-good theology. And Paul says, no, no. Preach the word of God. Why is that? 
it tells you in verse 2. Because the word corrects. The word of God corrects wrong thinking. As you sit under the word week in, week out, your wrong understanding of God is changed. That happened to me. When I first became a Christian, I thought I'd chosen God. As I sat under good preaching, I understood that God had chosen me. God had elected me, and sure, God opened my eyes, and I responded, but ultimately it was God who had chosen me, not me choosing God. And my wrong thinking was corrected by the word of God. What else does the word of God do? Verse 2, it rebukes us. It should rebuke us. It should call you to repentance. It should expose your sin and demand a change. I'm personally rebuked most weeks as I sit and prepare. God will expose some pride or some resentments or some selfishness. That's what the word of God does. But it also encourages us, verse 2. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Because we're fragile, weak people who need to be built up. That word encourage is a beautiful get alongside, put your arm around, almost like God is walking alongside you and comforting you. And we do all that, verse 2, with great patience and with careful instruction. You need patience because people are slow to change and people are slow to learn. You need patience with them, preaching, preaching, and preaching the same message again and again and again and again. It was Simon who, want, who, who once said, someone said, oh, why do you preach the same message each week? Why do you keep telling me about the cross? He said, because people are slow to learn and really slow to grasp it. And you do it with careful instruction, verse 2. You know, you, you sit down with the scriptures and you, you grapple with what does that word mean? Why has God used that particular word at this particular verse in scripture? And then you carefully consider how to explain that and what to say and what not to say and what illustration to use so that people actually understand the word of God and not just understand an illustration. And that's the role of the pastor, to preach the word of God. And there's no greater privilege. Now, why does Timothy need to be told this? Because Paul is very realistic about what life will be like in these last days. Verse 3, For the time will come, and has come, where men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. There it is in black and white. People will actually turn away from the truth and they will not want to hear the truth. He's not saying, oh, Paul, the time will come when people won't say, oh, thanks for the sermon, and slap you on the back. He's not saying the time will come when people sit in church and sleep through a sermon or send text messages through a sermon, which they do. He's saying the time will come when people actually walk out of your church building and say, I do not like what you preached. And then they'll walk down to another church where they will hear exactly what they want to hear. They could do that in hundreds of churches today in Sydney. You just keep driving until you find what you want to hear. But it won't be the truth. Why is that so attractive? Because people have needs and they want those needs met. And they will find the preacher who will tell them a false gospel that will meet those needs. I sat through it on Thursday night this week. 
someone misusing, manipulating scripture and manipulating people and making them promises that God never promised. But people love it because they leave feeling good. And they leave, they leave thinking that God has made them these promises and when God doesn't keep those promises, it is God's fault. And that's what makes me so angry because the word of God is being misused. And that's why I find verse 5 so encouraging. But you, Timothy, you pastor teachers, keep your head in all situations. He's saying there, be clear-minded. Don't get discouraged. Don't despair. Don't get caught up in success syndrome. Keep your head. And then he says, endure hardship. Don't give up. Don't run away. Ministry will be tough. I love the next phrase, do the work of an evangelist. What he's saying there is, Timothy, you know, even if you, your, your whole congregation that you have carefully and patiently built up through your sanity, if they all walk away from your church and you're left with no one in your church, what do you do? You just do the work of an evangelist. You just keep preaching Jesus again and again and again and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Fully complete the ministry that you're called to. So I ask you again, as your pastor, what do you want me to do? I'm going to fail most of you. I know at some point I will disappoint you and I'm sorry for a word that's said harshly and I haven't thought about it. I'm really sorry for that. But I do hope and pray that what you really want me to do week in, week out is just bring the word of God to you. Because it's through that word that you will know your saviour. You'll be humbled as a sinner and you'll actually be confident of the God of Scripture. So what happens when we preach, I preach the word, the second task is this. It's a huge privilege. Preparing people for glory. This is uh, Paul's last letter. Paul has finished the work. Timothy's got a few more years of ministry left. What does Paul say? Verse 6. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. It's the language of, of sacrifice. He says, I, I feel like I'm suffering my life's about to end. The time has come for my departure. But he's saying, don't be discouraged. He's saying, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. He's saying, my life is over. And as I look back at it all, I look back on my life. I, Paul, I didn't just start out the race. I've actually finished it. And I've kept the faith. I've remained faithful to my Savior. Kind of like the, the marathon runner who's just come into the home straight. Uh, do you remember the, um, what's the name of that walker at Sydney Olympics, the Australian lady? And she's in the lead, and she's in the lead all the way, and then she walks into the stadium, and she gets the, the red card. And she's disqualified and doesn't finish the race. And she's been going for so long and been in the lead all that time, but she doesn't finish it. And Paul is saying, no, it's not about how you start the Christian race. It's not about what you were like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's what you're going to be like on the last day. Are you still walking closely with your Savior? Are you going to be fighting the good fight and finishing the race on that last day? He's saying, Timothy, you do the same. Verse 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. You see, in a courtroom in Rome... 
in the not too distant future. Uh, Paul knows he will appear before a judge. And no doubt he'll be alone again. No one on his side. And the judge will probably be corrupt. And the verdict will be guilty. And the punishment will be death. He's about to face that courtroom and a corrupt judge. But beyond all of that and overshadowing all of that is another courtroom and another day. And the Apostle Paul knows he's going to stand before a righteous judge. And he knows his verdict already. It's not guilty. It's not guilty because of his Savior. And he knows his punishment. It's not a punishment at all. It's actually a reward. He calls it the crown of righteousness. His name's on it because he's kept the faith. He's run the race. And then he adds those last few words which are so important for you and me. He says, and not only to me, I'm not the only person there on that day. It's not just about me and God. Others will be there. Others who have kept the faith and finished the race. Others who have longed for his appearing. Who have lived their life longing for the return of Jesus. Because chapter 4 started with that, didn't it? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, he's saying, the backdrop of your whole life and your whole ministry is a day where Jesus Christ will return. And in view of that, knowing you're going to meet your Savior and stand before your judge, keep the faith, run the race, and fight the good fight. See, Paul knows he's going to receive a crown. But there's lots of people who started the race who won't receive the crown. We've met some in this, in this letter, haven't we? You know, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they won't be there on that day because they say the resurrection already happened and they're not waiting for anything. Phygelus and Hermogenes, they won't be there because they've wandered. And Demas might not be there. I don't like Demas. It's, I find Demas very uncomfortable. <laughs> He says, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, look at these next few words, because he loved this world, has deserted me. The thing about Demas is that he, he was a great guy. Demas is mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. He's mentioned in Philemon 23 and 24. And Demas is there, one of course, Paul's closest friends. Even when Paul was in prison, Demas knew that that uncompromising gospel ministry could get you to prison. And at that point in Paul's life and ministry, Demas wasn't ashamed. But at some point, obviously, it got too much for Demas. It says, because he loved this world. The world was too attractive. The world was too seductive. It could have been sex. It could have been money. It could have been power. It could have been popularity. Whatever it was, he deserted Paul. Before you demonize demon, he might not have deserted Jesus. And it could be that he went soft and he went somewhere easier to preach the gospel. But whatever it was, he was ashamed. And the reason I struggle with demons is because I know that I love this world too much. I love this world far, far too much. And if I'm honest with you guys, I don't live each day with the backdrop saying, Jesus Christ could return today. Because my eyes are so fixed on this world. And I've seen many, 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 many people drift. And many people walk away from the faith. Facebook is a great thing, but it's also a discouraging thing. There's a guy on Facebook this week who I was at Bible College with at Oak Hill in London. Looked at his homepage. He trained, he was ordained as a minister. Looked at his homepage. Uh, under beliefs, nothing. Uh, 
no mention of Jesus and the favorite books, no mention of the Bible. And so I emailed someone and said, what's happened to him? I know he's left ministry and he's left the faith. And I could list many, many people who have done the same. They started well, they started the race well, but they didn't finish well. And part of my job in ministry and all of your jobs in terms of following Jesus is to prepare yourself for glory. To be on that finish line saying, you know, I fought the good fight and I've finished the race and I've kept the faith and I'm just longing for that crown. And I want to encourage you guys just to live each day with that backdrop which says, Jesus is returning. And I'm going to stand before a judge. I just want that crown. Preach the word. Prepare people for glory. I'll say one more thing. Remember that God is always with you. Please remember that God is always with you. That's the encouragement for Timothy. 4 verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. It's like the headline again. You know, Timothy, remember everything you do is under the presence of God. Same as 2 verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. God is your, your witness. You, you're here to preach for God and to, to receive the, the, the well done good and faithful servant from God and not from people. And that's a challenge as a preacher each week is not to do your best to present yourselves to people or to impress people, but to say, I'm just preaching for God and for his glory. Dick Lucas says this, we should learn to be very restrained in our response to people's approval of our ministry and their disapproval. We should neither be too elated by the one nor too depressed by the other. You're preaching for God alone. Or someone once said to me, are you working for the crown or for the crowd? That's the key. Remember, you live, you work, you serve under the watchful eye of, of your maker, your redeemer, your saviour, and your Lord. And they're also comforting words, aren't they? To know that everything is seen by God. Because remember, Paul is facing imprisonment. He's in prison. He's facing death. And so he says these beautiful words in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to me. Everyone deserted me. And reminiscent of Jesus on the cross, may it not be held against them. Verse 17. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was delivered from the lion's mouth, whether literal lion or, the, or talking about the devil. God delivered me and he will rescue me. He's got this confidence that no matter who deserts him, Everybody can walk away from him, but, but his, his Lord and his master and his friend, he will never leave him and he will never forsake him. And that's what keeps him going. And that's what should keep you going in your faith. No matter what people do to you, what they say to you, no matter how many people leave this church, the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. I shan't be in want, because he leaves me by quiet waters. Psalm 73, yet you, God, are always with me. You hold me by my right hand, and afterwards you'll take me into glory. Lord, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you, God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Well, Romans 8, nothing can ever separate us 
and the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what kept Paul going in ministry. That's what kept Timothy going in ministry, God's presence, God's protection, God's strength, God's grace. That's what keeps me going. And it's times it's so exhausting and you feel battered by people and battered by the world. And whatever I go through, the Lord is at my side. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And I pray that will keep you going as you seek to follow your Savior and you've said, I've kept the faith. I've run the race. And there's now in store for me a crown of righteousness. Let me pray. Psalm 23. Please use this psalm to think about the presence of your Lord who's your shepherd as your comfort as you walk through this life as you run the race. Make this a prayer for yourself. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 